Seed, sprout, flower, fruit, and seed again. A classic life cycle. Does making popcorn count as seed dispersal? Welcome to the Nature of Phenology, where we share the cycles and seasons of the outdoors. I'm your host, Hazel Stark. January and August are surprisingly similar from a seasonal perspective. As the cold and dark blanket of winter decidedly settles over the landscape by early January, the heat and long daylight hours of summer take hold by early August. These two seasonal poles seem to push pause on the phenological changes around us. Amphibian and bird sounds have mostly shut off by midsummer. The plethora of colorful flowers we had have all but faded into the surrounding seas of green, and the garden no longer requires the most watchful eye. In early January, the season settles into silence and stillness. But if only seeds could announce their presence as winter-courting owls, spring peepers, or oven birds can. In lieu of the vocalizations of seeds, today's feature is all about the seed dispersal we can observe now. The first seeds of the year I notice are not the dandelion seeds that are plentiful as they dance through the air in the spring, but instead the tiny winged seeds of paper birch trees skimming across an ice-crusted layer of snow in early winter. Then, just at the moment in early spring when I think that no more snow will fall, I have a double take when I start to see fluffy white objects flying through the sky, the airborne seeds of poplar trees. And usually at around this time of year, a similar fluffy white seed takes to the air, ideally settling onto some recently disturbed ground, the seeds of fireweed, the cone-like clusters of pink flowers that were just starting to bloom a month ago. No matter the size of a seed, whether it's smaller than a poppy seed or as large as the 40-pound coco de mer seed, all seeds have a few things in common. They have an embryo, which will develop into a more familiar-looking adult plant, a food source for that developing embryo, and a seed coat, which protects it. Seeds emerge on a flowering plant after the flower has been pollinated and developed into a fruit, which surrounds those seeds. The whole point in this process, of course, is to ensure the survival of the next generation. And that next generation ideally shouldn't take root right underneath the parent plant. Otherwise, there might be too much competition for those particular genetics to survive. So, plants have evolved to figure out different ways of dispersing their seeds, sometimes over huge distances. Picture a coconut floating across a sea to colonize the tropics worldwide, or a storm causing a poplar seed to travel almost 20 miles. When we think of seed dispersal, we often think of seeds being carried away by the wind. Maple tree helicopters, botanically known as samaras, that were flying through the sky in late June are another great example of wind-dispersed seeds. But this time of year, another form of seed dispersal is at play, and we are often part of it. The next time you bite into a ripe summer berry and get seeds stuck in your teeth before swallowing them, you are doing just what that berry intended. Many seeds have an exceptionally hard and durable seed coat that actually requires a journey through an animal's digestive system to be able to later germinate. Stomach acids break down that tough seed coat, and after the animal has traveled perhaps many miles from where it ate said berry, the seeds are deposited along with a fresh, steamy heap of fertilizer to give the next generation a boost. So the next time you're outside taking a look at your garden and sampling the fruits of your labor, you could consider who tamed whom, 
Was it we humans who have worked so diligently to save the seeds of the plants we like and dispersing them in our carefully groomed fields year after year so we could continue to eat them? Or was it the plants that made themselves so delectable so that animals would eat them and do their seed dispersal bidding on their behalf? Corn is an example of a plant that could not exist in the wild, yet our love for corn has perpetuated their genetics nonetheless. It seems to me that humans aren't the only species on this planet with a habit of control over other species. You can download this episode and find a link to the transcript, references, contact information, photos, and information about how to subscribe to this show as a podcast by visiting archives.weru.org. Have a nature question that you want us to answer in our show? Simply reach out to us. Theme music was by a pileated woodpecker made available by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Thanks for listening, and please join us next week for another dive into the nature of phenology. (laughs) 